Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Genesis 1 this morning. Genesis chapter number 1 in your Bibles. Pastor Aylstock and I have been working through this study of learning of who is God. Who is God? So far we have started by looking at the truth that uh, God is the creator of all things. That everything we see, everything around us today reveals that God is the creator. We also know, have seen that the reason that mankind uh, doesn't like this truth, they suppress this truth because of their own sinfulness. They know if there is a creator uh, that they are responsible uh, for their actions. And so they don't want that to be ca the case. They love their sin. Pastor Aylstock showed us uh, last week that we can know more about God by understanding God's pinnacle of creation, us Mankind. We learned that we're made in God's image. We're a reflection, a shadow of who God is. Therefore, if we want to get a good understanding of who God is, we need to look in the mirror. We need to look at how mankind is made, his image bearers. And when we look at man, we see that God is an intelligent, moral person or being. Today we're going to learn a little bit more about who God is. We're going to be considering the topic of how many gods are there. And we're going to be studying the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity, tri-unity, three, God, three gods, three people in one God. Our articles of faith says the following, we believe that God is one in essence, in nature, and yet composed of three persons. Thus there is one and only one true God, and that in the unity of the Godhead there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That they are equal and execute distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That's clear as anything. Charles Wesley, who was the brother of John Wesley, who was a, a godly man, founder of the Methodist Church, once said, Find me a worm that can understand the complexities of being a human, and I'll show you a person that can understand the Trinity. The Trinity is a, an amazing doctrine. 
It is a doctrine that unites Christians all across the land. We believe that God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those who deny that truth place themselves outside the pale of Christian orthodoxy. Having said that, however, I admit that no person can fully understand this doctrine. It's a mystery. It's a paradox to you. And so I'm going to be preaching you about something I don't fully understand. I feel like that old skit of Abbott and Costello where the who's on first. And at the end, the guy goes, says, so let me get this straight. Who's on first? What's on second? And I don't know on, is on third. And the guy says, exactly. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. It makes no sense to me. And so that's how I feel sometimes. I know what the truth is, but I really don't understand it fully. God is so amazing. He is so amazing that sometimes it's hard for us to fully grasp Exactly who he is. But we know it's true. We know this mystery, this paradox of the Trinity is true. Why? How do we know it's true? Why do we believe it's true? Because the word of God says so. The word of God is clear that there is a Trinity. That there's a tri-unity. Before we get into what the Bible says about the Trinity, let me clarify some things. First of all, Christians don't believe in three different gods. Uh, that's a heresy called tritheism. There's only one God. Second, we don't believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three forms of God, like water, ice, and, and steam. And that's a heresy called modalism. Third, we don't believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are parts or pieces of God. That would imply that Jesus is one-third God, the Father's one-third God, and the Holy Spirit is one-third God. We don't believe that to be the case. We believe that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit Spirit is not the Father, but each is God individually and fully, and yet they together are one true God that is mentioned in the Bible. And so through the word, though the word Trinity is nowhere mentioned in the Bible, its truth is evident all throughout scriptures. First of all, we're gonna, we're gonna look at the doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. That there is only one God. It says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, as Pastor read earlier, the Lord our God is one Lord. First Corinthians, there is none other God but one. First Timothy 2, 5, there is one God. It can't get much clearer than that. There is one God. It is clear that there's only one God. Many cultures throughout history or even today have believed in a multiplicity of gods. That there is a God of fire, a God of water, a God of the sea, a God of the, of the, of the sea of the skies. Uh, there's a God who created all things. There's a God who's going to destroy all things. There's a God who sustains all things. There's a lot of different beliefs. When Paul was traveling around the world and he was on a little downtime, a little vacation time, he was walking around the city and he saw all these statutes made out to all these different gods who were in control of different aspects as man has tried to understand the creation and make sense of it and he even saw ones that said to the unknown god they didn't know how many gods they were they just believed there was a multiplicity of different gods and even today there are people that believe there are many gods but the bible makes it clear that there is only one god and his name is Jehovah, or capital L-O-R-D in our English Bible. So it says in Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. There is only one God. His name is Lord, or Jehovah. However, the Bible also contains clear statements regarding diversity within that one God. In 1 John chapter number 5, verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, 
the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The Bible clearly states that the three are one. The truth is evident. This truth is evident from the very beginning of the Bible. Look with me in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The Hebrew word for God there is the word Elohim. That is actually a plural form of the word El. It's a word that in other contexts of the Bible is sometimes translated as gods, referring to the heathen deities. With, when God, Elohim, created man, look in verse number 26, he said this. He said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over all the creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. He said, God said, let us make man in our image. Those are plural words. Us in our. That goes with the context of God is Elohim, a plurality. There is God is us in our. Then you look at verse number 27, the next verse. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. Those are singular. And so in the previous verse, he says, us in our image. And then it says that God created man in his image. Us in our, a plurality. Us in our singularity. He, his image. So we see within the beginning that there is a a plurality with God. But there's also a singularity with God. There is one God. But there's three people in that God. There's three beings, presence within that one God, us in our. We look all throughout creation when we see the idea of who created us. It says in Isaiah 64, 8, but now, O Lord, thou art a father. We are the clay and thou art our potter and we are, we all are the work of thy hand. Who's the creator? Who created us all? The father, it says. In, in Colossians 1.15, it says, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, for by him were all things created. It says in John 1.3, all things were made by him, speaking of Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Job 33.4, it says, the spirit of God hath made man. So the Father has created us. The Father made us. Jesus is the creator of all things, and the Holy Spirit has made us. All three, God created mankind. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made us. All three made us because all three are God. We also know the doctrine of Trinity because all three are called God. In Philippians chapter number 1 verse 2 it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. It says in John chapter number 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Who was this word? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know Jesus Christ through the virgin birth took on flesh. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He was God. He is God. And he became flesh. And in Acts chapter number five, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Who did he lie to? That was not lied unto men, but to God. See, all three throughout the scriptures are called God. All three are indicated that they are 
God. Another way we see the doctrine of the Trinity throughout the Bible is that through the way that the three harmoniously work together. It says in 1 Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Is it only the Father that loves us? Is it only Jesus that gives us grace? Is it only the Spirit that communes with us? Of course not. All three give us grace. All three love us. All three commune with us. All three are intertwined in that one verse, showing that they work together. They're harmonious. They're one being interacting in our lives. You know, there's a long list of passages that show how easily the writers of Scripture pass from one person of the Trinity to another, uh, doing so in a way that assumes their equality of nature uh, while preserving their distinct personhood. If the doctrine of the Trinity is not true, it would seem a blasphemy to be talking of the Father as God and Jesus Christ in the same breath. But it's not a blasphemy because they are both God. There's an equality within the very people. It's obvious In the scripture that though the word Trinity is nowhere mentioned, the doctrine is declared over and over again. But you know this doctrine is hard for us to understand. We see it. It's clear as day. We look at the verses. It's over and over again. This doctrine is obvious in the scriptures. But how can we understand that? How can we get this understanding? So throughout the years, mankind has attempted... To, make, to apply this doctrine and help us understand this doctrine using various illustrations. And so let us think through some of these illustrations to maybe they'll, they'll be helpful to us to understand this doctrine of Trinity. Many have used this idea of water. Water is made up of three different, it can be made up, exist in three, uh, three ways. A solid, a liquid, or a steam. All three are water, but they're all different forms. All three have the chemical composition of H2O. They rem- and, and they remain that no matter if it's floating in the atmosphere, creating all the humidity in the air. Don't you love humidity? And hadn't these last few days been great and enjoying? I hear my cousins, my family's all moved down to Florida. And I've been to Florida. I don't have no interest in Florida with the humidity. And so crazy people like down there. But the humidity, that, that's water, that humidity in the air. But that's also water... And those little cubes that we put in our drinks to help relieve us from the humidity that's in the air. Both are water. They're both water that exists in this world. The problem with this illustration is that when water freezes, it switches from a liquid to a solid. When it boils, it switches to a vapor. However, God doesn't switch states or mode. Liquid can become a solid or gas. But God the Father can never become Jesus Christ. God the Father can never become the Spirit. The Spirit can never become Jesus Christ. They are always one and the same, and they are always all three who God is. And so water helps us to get a somewhat of an understanding of this trinity, but it fails. It doesn't fully help us comprehend. Another one is the egg. Uh, that's one I'm sure we've heard in Sunday school out throughout the years. An egg is made up of a shell, a yolk, and an egg white. Yet it's all together one egg. There's three parts that, that create a unified whole. Uh, the shortfall of this illustration and, and others like it is God cannot be divided in three parts. Uh, it, the yolk is, is not the same as the, the shell. Those are two separate things. They, they're not made of the same material. God is one being that creates all one God. 
all three are God individually and distinctly. And so the egg helps us a little bit, but it still falls short. Another illustration used is man. You know, I can be a father, which I am. I can be a son, which I am. And I can be a husband, which I am. I'm three things, but I'm still just one man. And so God can be three people, but he's still just one God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And then we also have the family, the husband and wife. You know, when God told Adam and Eve getting married, he said there'll be one flesh. That word one is the same that is used that there's one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. It's the same idea. See, when God created mankind, he created husband and wife to represent the Trinity, to represent the unity within the Trinity. See, man and woman are made out of the same thing. They're the same type of being. They're both humans. But when they get married, they are to become one. They don't lose their distinctness that they're still man and they're still woman, they're still husband, they're still wife, but they're to become one flesh. They're to have the same desires. They're to have the same passions. They're to work together in a harmony and unity. They still are separate people. They don't, when Eric and I got married, she didn't become me. She remained Erica, but together we became one flesh. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost are three people, but they're one, working together in harmony, in unity, in, in accomplishing the, the desires of their each uh, of their heart. They have a one desire, a one passion. And so, Mankind, before the fall, we've messed things up a lot. Uh, husbands and wives don't reflect that one flesh as much as they used to. We like to keep things as separate as possible uh, nowadays within marriage uh, relationship. But in the beginning, God created man, uh, husband and wife to reflect that unity, that harmony, that two distinct people, but one flesh. And so we see that mankind, family, it gives us an understanding of how God can be three people but one God working together in harmony. You know, the creation also is that the universe is that also a great illustration of the Trinity. The universe is made up of three different things. The universe consists of matter, of space, and of time. Three different things. You take away one of them, it no longer remains the universe. They are all make it up. Each of those three are make it made up of Trinity of itself. Matter is made up of mass, energy, and motion. Space is made up of length and height and breadth. Time is made up of past, present, and future. And so the whole universe seems to witness to the character of the God who created him. This Trinitarian God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so there's a lot of illustrations. A lot of understandings that we have tried to use to give us a, a glimpse. A little bit of an understanding of this doctrine. But even after these illustrations we still go, who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Yes, that's right. What? What did I just say? I don't get what I just said. And that's oftentimes how we feel. These illustrations, they fall short of fully helping us to comprehend this idea of exactly who our God is. Because he's so amazing. It's trying to, kind of trying to like understand that God is eternal. He never had a beginning. What? Because everything we know has a beginning. And trying to understand our God. Behold our God. And we really think about him. We go, wow, he's amazing. I can't even fully understand him. And the Trinity is like that. We try to use earthly illustrations to give us a little glimpse into this reality. But they all fall short. 
Because our God is just so amazing. You know, one thing that has caused such confusion within this Trinity, this doctrine of Trinity, is that the fact that Jesus is called the Son of God. How could He be called the Son of God and yet still be God? The fact that he is a son, uh, many think, well, father had to birth him, right? He, was, he created him. Everyone knows that I'm a son, therefore I had to have a father. There had to be someone that, that started me. I came into being because I have a father. So how can Jesus be God if he is the son of God? And so let's look at the Jesus of the Trinity. When we hear the, the word son, we think of created being. And so if Jesus was the Son of God, we think He was created by God and therefore He was not God Himself. But you know another phrase that we use of Jesus Christ, that Jesus uses of Himself in the Gospels, is that He was the Son of Man. When we hear the phrase that He was the Son of Man, we don't think, well, He must not be man then. No, he is the son of man, therefore he has the characteristics of man, therefore he is like man. He has, he is a man, he has the characteristics of man because he is the son of man. And so when we think son of God, it doesn't mean that he's not God, it means that he has the characteristics of God. He has the, the personality of God. He has the eternality of God. He is God. When Jesus Christ told the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the people around him of his day that he was God, the Bible says this in, in John chapter number five, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but what? But said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You see, when Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God, he was not saying, I'm inferior to the Father. I was created by the Father. He's saying, I am equal with the Father. I am God. He is equality. He has equality. And they understood that he made himself equal with God. To say you were the Son of God meant that you were God. You see, the Bible often uses the phrase son or children to, to refer to the possessing the nature of. You know, it's like the, the mom when a kid's acting up and she said, uh, she says to the child, You're your child's, uh, you're your, your father's son, aren't you? And it's not just because he's literally, the, he's acting like him. You're acting just like your dad acts. And uh, you have that personality. You have that characteristic of your dad. You know, the Bible talks about that we're the children of disobedience. Disobedience didn't birth us. But we have the nature, we have the characteristics of people of disobedience. We're the children of disobedience. In the same way, Jesus Christ, he possesses as the son of God, he possesses the nature of God. He is not the literal offspring of God, but he has the nature of who he is as the son of God. It says in Colossians 2.9, For in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He has every aspect of God because he is God, but he had it in human form because he took upon flesh and he lived among us. The fact that Jesus is the son indicates that he's, he is God. He's equal with the father. So why is he called the son then? Why do we call him the son? It has to do with his relational subordination to the father, not a difference in his nature. Contrary to the, uh, the teachings of many cults today, there's no ontological subordination, which is a no difference in the nature 
of the three persons of the Godhead. Some, many believe that there's the Father who is the, 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 he's the, he's God. And then you have the Son who was created by the Father. So the Father's over the Son because he's greater than the Son. And then you have the Spirit who's not, is not equal to either of them because the Spirit speaks of Jesus who then speaks of the Father. And so there's a hierarchy is which they, what they believe in the creation. But that's not what the Bible teaches. There's not a subordination in their character and their being in who they are. It's, it's almost like a father and a son. I am my child's uh, father, but I'm not greater than they are. I'm not better than they are just because I'm the father. It's just a hierarchy of relation. It's how we work together. And that's the idea. There's a, a economic or a relational subordination within the Trinity. The Trinity, the three persons of the triune God, voluntarily submit to each other in love. It's a choice that they have made in eternity past to live within the relationship that they have. The Son has submitted Himself to the Father. He has chosen to be under the Father. All three persons of the Trinity have the same essence, the same nature, the same glory, but each one has a different role within the work. You look at it in salvation. The Father sent the Son. The son died in our place. He gave his life for us. The father sent them, but the son gave his life. And the spirit of God draws people unto them. And those that are saved, the father then receives them. Each of them has a different role, a different working within the work of salvation. But that doesn't mean they're one's better than the other. It doesn't mean that one is greater than the other. They just have different roles, responsibilities. They have different submission one to the other. Jesus is not inferior to the father. He has voluntarily submitted to the Father. He wasn't created by the Father. He's just submitted himself to him. This whole truth of the doctrine of Trinity, it's really hard to grasp. It's really hard to get our our brains fully around this. And we can spend a lot of time meditating and thinking on it. But just because we can't fully understand it doesn't mean we can't learn from it. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2 this morning. Philippians chapter number 2. One of the things that the Trinity teaches us is about human relationships, about how we interact with one another. So let's look at some of the applications of the Trinity. So what does this doctrine, what do we learn from it? Is it just a a Bible college thing that we're supposed to think about and study? Are there applications, personal practical applications, that this truth, that there's three people and one God, is is there practical things that we can learn from it? And there are. There's very practical things. One of the things that we learn is that human beings were created to need each other. Just as there's unity within the Godhead, there's relationship within us. God made us in His image. He has made us to be like Him. We desire relationships. And so it's not a bad thing to desire friendships. It's not a bad thing to desire a spouse. At least if you're single, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to desire those types of relationships, those personal relationships with other people. That's a godly thing. Of course, human relationships we can put over our God and that therefore becomes sin. But we have been made to interact with one another, have communion with one another, to have relationships with one another, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interact with each other. We have been made in His image. If we isolate ourselves, we are harming ourselves. You know, I think that's one of the big problems that we have in our society today. Why are these these children so harmful and, and hateful to humankind? It's because they spend hours alone in their basements playing video games or doing other stuff and they're not interacting with human beings and developing their 
those relationships that God has made us to be. God has made us to be a relational people. Now, everyone's different. Some people, they like alone time, and that's okay too. I like being alone. But there's, God has made us where we're not supposed to be alone all the time. He said it's not good for man to be alone. So he made Eve. He has made us to interact and be relational one with another because the Trinity is a relatable God. He interacts one with another and we are made in his image. And so we're to relate with one another. Another thing we learn is that roles within relationships is a good thing. There are many roles in human relationships between each other, but this idea is seen most clearly in marriage and family. You know, a common lie that is, that is often perpetuated in our society today is that, that different roles between men and women means that one gender must be getting mistreated by the other, that one is inferior to the other. Just because the, this one has this role and this one has this role, that means they're inferior to one another. And this, this, thus, in this view, the only way to ensure equality within this, the, the sexes is sameness. Any difference between the sexes is seen as discrimination in our world. But you know, that's unbiblical. That's not what the Word of God teaches. And it was sabotage the health of a healthy relationship between a man and a woman. We can see from the Trinity that roles and relationships do not devalue one person or another. There's different roles in relationships, human relationships, because there's different roles in the Trinity. Just as the Father is not the Son... Just as the son is not the father. Just because they have different roles, they are all equally important. Their roles, their responsibility do not diminish who they are in their being, in their character. It should not surprise us, therefore, that since we're made in God's image, that, that we are all equal importance. Man and woman are equally important in God's eyes. But we have different roles and different functions in our relationship one with another. Just because there's a difference of roles doesn't mean one is greater than the other. If you have a boss, he is over you. He has different responsibilities. That doesn't mean that he's of more value than you are. Doesn't mean he's a greater worth as a human being than you are. You are equal. You're both humans. You both have the same intrinsic value. You just have different roles. And it's the same way within marriage relationships. It's okay that have different responsibilities and different roles. That's how God has created us. We reflect the Trinity. We reflect the very image of God. God works in harmony and unity in love one with another, voluntarily submitting one to another. That's what uh, the, the role of the Trinity, we can learn from that. And we see that clearly in Philippians chapter number 2. In Philippians chapter number 2, we see down in verse number 6, It says, who, speaking of Jesus, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You see that? Jesus didn't think it was an issue to be equal with God. He knew he was equal with God. He knows who he is. He is God of all eternity. He didn't think it was something strange or something hard to be grasped or understood. He is equal with God. Jesus, being in form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The Father didn't make him that way. The Father didn't say, you have to do this. Jesus made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion man as he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even a death of the cross. You see, Jesus Christ voluntarily submitted himself. Why? Because of love. See, submission is an act of love. 
That's what it really is. Submission's not an act of, of I'm inferior to this other person. I'm submitting myself as an act of love. Jesus Christ, for his love for the Father, for his love for humankind, willingly submitted himself unto the Father to come to this earth, to take upon a, himself the form of a human, to be made in likeness of man, and to die on the cross. It was a willing submission that he did. And the Bible says that this mind, that, that act of love, that act of submission that we see within the Trinity, is something that should be in us also. That's how we are to act. That's how we are to behave. We, that's what we learn from the Trinity. We need to learn that we need to submissively humble ourselves to other people for the benefit of other people. It says back in verse number 4, it says, Look not every man on his own things, but also every man also on the things of others. In verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. See, it's an act of the mind. It's an act of will. It's an act of choice. That's what Jesus Christ did. He voluntarily submitted himself to the Father. He esteemed the Father in a better position to humble himself so that he could die in our place. And that's how we are to live within mankind. No, one, no man is better than another man. We are all made in the image of God. But we can voluntarily make the decision, I'm going to submit myself to that person for the benefit of that person. I'm going to esteem them. I'm going to consider them as of more important than I am for their benefit. Not because they're really better than I am, but I'm going to consider it that way so that I can serve them. So that I can do what it takes to make their life better. And then you read in verse number one and two, and that's where unity comes from. See, that's where disunity comes from. Disunity comes from, I think I'm better than you. I deserve more. You need to be doing things to make me happy. And so then if you do things to make me happy, I'm good with you and we'll just live in harmony. But if you do things that don't make me happy, uh uh-uh, I can't live with you. That's a problem. But when we all make a decision, their needs are more important than my needs. What they want is more important. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to consider what they need more important than what I need. I'm going to consider what they want more important than what I want. And I'm going to value them more than I value myself because I love them. That's what we learn from Jesus Christ. That's what we learn from the Trinity. That's the mind that was in Jesus Christ. He said, their needs are so important. They're going to hell. They have no hope. And so, Father, I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm going to be the one that goes down to earth. And I'm going to yield myself to you to show them how to yield to you. To be their example. And I'm going to live as a human on this earth. I'm lovingly submitting myself for their benefit. That's an amazing truth that the Trinity teaches us. That's how we are to live one with another. We get in problems. We get in issues when we start considering ourselves as greater than the other people. But the Trinity teaches us that love and unity go hand in hand. That's true in marriages. That's true in a church. That's true in workplaces. And everywhere we work and interact with other people, unity, harmony comes when we don't think so highly of ourselves, but we humble ourselves to the needs of other people. So how many gods are there? There's one. His name is Jehovah. He is God. But he's of three people, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
The Trinity should cause us to bow in humble adoration before our God, who is greater than our minds could ever comprehend. This doctrine of Trinity, it's so amazing. We can look at our God and go, wow, He's so great. It should cause us to rejoice that we have a triune God that has provided for us a Trinitarian salvation. We were lost in sin, and our God acted in every person of His being to save us. The Father gave the Son. The Son offered Himself on the cross, and the Holy Spirit brought us to Jesus. Man, we are so lost, it took every member of the Godhead to rescue us. That's how lost we were, and God had to save us. And let us also look to the interrelational workings of the Trinity to learn how we're to interact with other people since we're made in God's image. Does your marriage reflect the Trinity? Does your relationship with your husband or wife reflect the Trinity? Does your relationship with your kids, your co-workers, your friends, even your God reflect the Trinity? Are you willing to humble yourself for the benefit of other people? In 1774, a man named Ignaz Franz wrote a hymn of praise to the Trinity called, Holy God, we praise your name. And verse 3 may serve as a, a apt conclusion for the message. He said, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit... Three, we name you. While in essence only one, undivided God, we claim you. Then adoring, bend the knee and confess the mystery. It is indeed a mystery. And with all the saints, may we bend our knees and bow and worship before our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.